Welcome to Radical Remembering with psychologist Dr. Narissa and Dr. Buki. This is a weekly conversation where we explore the ways we've internalized oppression and consider what it really means to be liberated. Each episode will leave you with intimate knowledge of the liberation process, sprinkle a little healing magic, and leave you with wisdom for your journey. What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Radical Remembering. I'm Dr. Buki. And I'm Dr. Narissa. Today, our, um, our topic is actually my story. I'm telling my story this time of my process, right? Yeah. So last time we had, I, I touched around on little pieces and parts of my story, but what is, what has your liberation journey or your gemification process been like? Yeah. I think it is easier for me to talk about, while I think about degemification and liberation quite similarly, it is also easier for me to talk about degemification my degemification process. You know, I think that, you know, I last, last, in one of our previous episodes, I really named for people the different kinds of like gems that I, that I, that I believe exist. And one of the ones I called myself and I would say is like, I was a good and obedient gem subtype, you know, and if I'm being real about it, given where I am, you know, this is the work I'm doing is that under high stress, um, I can relapse. Um, the, going back into that, but if like my ability to see myself and like, and modify is what's different. And so part of what I do think is important for our our listeners, as you, you know, I think I appreciated you saying this last time is like, it's not a linear, it's not a linear process. Right. So I, you know, I think that part of the, the story that comes to mind when I think about my, the gemification process really is been, I remember being at a event a professional development experience. And this actually white queer woman, actually, no, this, she doesn't identify as a woman. She's white queer, let's gender non-conforming non-binary person came up to me and was like, I'm so glad you're here. And I remember being really struck by that. And part of the reason was one of this, this something about this model that I like learned and I work in this community. So it was, it was like a training focused on deepening people's skills um, in that model. And I remember her, I remember her, she just, she, her pronouns. I remember her sort of describing, and I, and I, and I had been in these spaces before, so I knew exactly what she was talking about when she said that, but it was like a relief for her that I was there. And I just, and I just remember being struck by that. Anyway, we proceeded to have a, we were in the training. I'm sort of one of the people, the supervisors, like the helpers in that training community. And the trainer at the time made this comment about, he made this comment about how men are socialized versus how women are socialized. And, but he made this generalization and whatever he said didn't land well inside of me. And I remember feeling like activated by it. And, but what I was really had gotten really good at was swallowing my activation and doing nothing. And I remember, and there's also a story I wanted to actually tell before this story, but we're here already, so we'll let it go. Of like, I remember one of the things that I remember one of my supervisors in the past, when I had had one of my major, pretty major traumatic experiences racially at a predominantly white institution I used to work at, I called her. And one of the things she said to me is like, Buki, why do you, like, she asked me this, she asked me a question around like why I was so willing to like, give of myself, even though these people are never going to like really be able to appreciate or see me. And so she said, going to the gist of what she said 
was around this piece around like go into the spaces and get what you need, right? Get what you need and don't do more than that. But this piece of like bringing yourself and all of that, like is just going to keep setting you up for more like pain and hurts. And, you know, this, by the way, was one of the like first like black psychologists I had met on my journey who I am so grateful to. Like I have never walked into a space. This is me digressing. Let me come back. <laughs> by the way, Dorissa, you know, you gotta like help, you gotta help focus me around here. I'm a professional listener. I'm listening. <laughs> you know, but but part of I, I I'm so grateful to her. Dr. Homer, if you're listening, I will be forever grateful to you. Dr. Homer was one of the first people that when I walked into a space as a psych, like I was a training psychologist, I hadn't even said shit. And I walked in and Dr. Like you could just see Dr. Homer was so glad I was there. And there's something about that feeling, right? That you like, you remember those moments, you remember those feelings when people like look at you with just like delight that like you're here, you don't have to prove anything. Like literally you have, you're already accepted just walking through the doors. And those moments are like really, and so Dr. Homer is one of those people like inside of me uh, in my professional journey that like helped me feel, feel that way. Anyway, so when I had this incident, like some, some event that happened, I called her, she was like, get what you need in these spaces. And like, just essentially the gist of what she was saying, like is protect yourself, protect yourself. These spaces are not constructed for you and they will take from you and they will break you and they will discard you. So protect yourself. And it was the first time that like professionally somebody had told me that. And then as a black woman, I like, I put that thing in my pocket and that's how I was ruling. So when I was in the space, then I remember being activated and like knowing like that comment didn't land right. and didn't land right as a person who socializes as a woman. It didn't right, land right as a queer person, as a gender non-conforming person, a masculine center person. It didn't land right for many, many ways. And I can't remember what he said exactly. Anyway, so I swallowed it. And so this person then starts to speak up. And by the way, if you think about the power, the hierarchy in the room, there's the trainer, then there are the people who are the supervisors who are the assistants. Myself was one of those people included. And then you have the trainees who are in the room. So I, because I swallowed, then she had to be the one who had to be like, uh, excuse me, what you just said didn't land well for me. And then like went into it. And I can't remember how, what transpired. But it opened up a whole, whole conversation and it was, it was really, really upsetting. Like, however, I think the, maybe the next comment, maybe the trainer maybe offered, I don't remember, but I know I ultimately, like, she was really upset. I had to walk out with her, make sure she was okay, all of that. And I remember in my, inside of me saying, I, this, I cannot, I cannot play small anymore. I cannot be in spaces where I have more power. And then the person who has the least, people who have the least amount of power are the ones who are, who then have to then stand up and I'm doing damage control afterwards. Like that's not okay. So if I'm going to hold power, I need to be able to use my power, right? Because it would have landed, things would have landed differently had I said, had I been the one to make the comment, right? She could have got my backup or whatever, but she didn't, the way in which she felt harmed in that experience, I felt, I felt partially responsible for because of my silence. And so, that was a moment inside of me. I think you remember part before this moment, remind me, I told you all the story previously where Marjorie had made that comment to me and I was already starting my own, like thinking around this. I was already in the encounter and I was already in what you call the encounter phase where I would describe it as the awakening phase for me. But this propelled me into what I would call my preparation stage where I was like at the end of the, my, of the awakening stage for me, that first step is a decision to say, I don't want to be a gem anymore. Like I'm no longer being okay with being a gem. And so I remember I made a commitment to myself 
in that to say that like that wasn't cool. And I remember actually calling the trainer. I was like, yo, we gotta, we, we need to talk about what happened. And, and the trainer actually called me and was like, what's up? And we we're talking. And I was describing how like, you know, there has to be some, they, I can't remember what I was trying to explain to him, but he said this comment around, like, I was, I was trying to, to tell him about the importance of like really thinking about marginalized identities when he's making, when he's making comments and all of these things. And, but I remember him saying something along the lines of, I'm sorry, I'm no like, <laughs> I feel like I'm like a little storyteller because I don't always get the details, but something along the lines of like, what about the white, because white cis people too we need to like be thoughtful about, about like, I think the, the models. And I was like, what are you talking about? The models were constructed for white cis people, right? Like, I don't need any extra, like that's exactly what my entire like construction of like how I work has been constructed. So no, 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 there's an additional piece that is required here. And it does, you don't get to like say, and don't forget about the white cis people too, you know? And that's not to devalue the humanity of white cis people. I'm just saying like the world's already built for you. Right, literally the way that I am trained to work as a clinician, and all of us are trained to work. So I just remember, and I like even you can hear my activation now because I remember being so caught off guard by his like just the lack of consciousness on his part. And he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. He wasn't right. It was just like in his mind, like let's make sure we're balancing the scales out. You know, and it's um, also a defensive response, right? So that that's you know, thousand percent. Thousand percent, but like, and and and, but but the piece that I just I just remember, like, it was one of those pieces where like I realized, and part of it was because I like you see how like the amount of energy that just came up in me right now, it was that kind of energy that I responded back with, and that's the kind of energy that I was always worried about, like not having like leak out of me, right? I couldn't let people see that I would get like activated and maybe even feel like enraged about like ignorant comments, you know. But in that, but, but to see, I think that's a piece, one of the things that's like a, a fundamental value for me um, is really related to this piece around, like there's a piece around like a value I hold deeply around like caring, like, I don't know the, the right word, what the right words would be or how I want to frame it, but it's this piece around like, shit can't happen on my watch, right? And it was a moment that I saw myself because of this, of the way I was, I'm, I'm, I'm a gem, that like I let that happen on my watch and that wasn't okay, you know? So that was um, like the moment you call the crisis of conscience, like, but that was the moment where I said, uh-uh, I ain't doing this no more. And literally since then has been me, like I've been running, I've been running since then. So that's my, that's my story. That's, that's my, that, and I, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm constantly, the reason I always talk about this because I'm like, I'm a gal in recovery is this piece around like recognizing that like I relapsed, like one of the things that I've gotten clear around when I think about like internalized racial oppression and like which of the symptoms of it like is still in me, alive in me, right? It's this piece around protectionism, and protectionism is the is the is what you what we call fault call the, when you protect white people, right? When you're work when you're constantly always thinking about the danger of like what happens when white people get dysregulated, and so you make a lot of moves to prevent and avoid triggering white people so that bad things don't happen. And for a lot of like the ways that like I've moved historically has really been really softening myself because of the messages that I received historically that to not do so, I was rude, disrespectful, too direct, whatever words, whatever words you want to throw at me about that, I've been told, you know? And so this, there's this part of me that somehow has believed that I think it's, we should always be, we can always be responsible with something with our words and our words certainly have impact. 
but there's a, a racialized piece that feels like very present in that for me that like I'm always now thinking about and it's still my journey. It's still literally the thing I struggle in with me. But when I have people that I know I got to be accountable to, I know that they're people who are, who have less power than me. It is what also fuels me to know that like, if I want to say I'm going to be silent, like, you know, which one could ask about my own relationship with my own self, if I'm like silent around my own, like put myself aside, right. And let it happen just so that like things don't like, so that the space doesn't experience conflict, which is, again, we know what that's rooted in. But I think the point I'm making is that it's just that I, that is the piece that I am actively working on is around my ability to tell my truth, regardless of the ways in which it's going to land for the person who is hearing. That is one thing I am in progress around. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. I'm thinking though, so for it to be something, so the way that it landed with you is like, okay, I'm never going to be, it sounded like a commitment to action, right? But it sounded like there would have had to have been something before that. And is that what you were describing as your experience with Margaret? Something before that to have to, for it to even land in you in that way. Right. If you remember the story I told at the beginning of our, like our, I think our first episode, okay. Wait, what allowed me to start waking up? And I talked about soul work and like this conversation I had with Mar- Marjorie, another clinician, where she was like, even black therapists aren't talking with like their black and brown clients about race. And I was like, can you believe it? And I was like sitting there like, oh my God, I'm one of those people, right? That like literally I'm not raising it unless my clients are raising it, right? Why? Because of these like beliefs and these like beliefs that I had that for me to do so is me imposing my agenda, mm-hmm. right? So there's a piece around like my like ways in which I was already waking up, right? My con- I was like I was already growing in my consciousness, right? And then to observe me, right? Because I remember I told you I said I noticed that comment. It was like I didn't notice the comment. I heard the comments. You, I was activated by the comments, but I was like, nah, it's okay, right? It's a microaggression. Mm, it's okay, whatever. Let's keep it moving. Whereas she, the trainee, was like. Nah, I can't, I can't, my ears can't have heard that kind of comment and I just sit and do nothing about it. That makes sense? No, it makes total sense. So, so what I'm thinking just from uh, what I'm thinking, thinking about your story, my story, thinking about how I said that it's not a linear process, but a circular process. It seems like there are different, and I'll also just use that term activation, different activation points in our liberation journeys that take us like, okay, another step higher, meaning like there was, there was an awakening to general consciousness of myself as a racialized being, myself in a racialized context, myself in anti-racist kind of action is what I'm, I'm hearing. And this story is, you know, speaking to what, what provoked you to degemified action or liberated action, as opposed to even just it being an ideological kind of process. Yes. The thing I would just clarify is like, it, remember how I say in it to me, in order to degemify, there has to be a point where you decide no longer to be a gem. I am no longer going to be a good, effective model or mainstream minority, right? So prior to that, I could be in that room. He could say that, make that comment. And, then, and I can't remember if that comment wasn't about, it wasn't necessarily a, a racialized comment. It was actually, I think, about gender. But as a Black queer, gender non-conforming person in that room, whatever he said did not sit well, right? And to say something felt disruptive. It felt like going, taking this white man off his agenda, right? That's not what we're here for, 
all of those things that allow us to like let what you will call microaggressions, macroaggressions occur in our presence, and we do nothing or say nothing about it, right? So my the piece though is like I think in order to degemify or to become liberated, and I don't know if you would agree with this. I think there's a point where we make it. There's an intentional decision we make to say we are no longer going to. I would say be a gem. I think the way that I would frame it, if I was talking about using your your terminology, is saying where I'm no longer. Oh, I would describe it like I'm no longer playing small. Like I want to be in alignment with my power, right? I want to become more liberated to be able to activate my voice. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Because I think in order for you to activate one's voice, needs to have been that intention, intentional decision to say, I want to be liberated, or I no longer want to be a gem anymore. Mm-hmm. I definitely would say the same. And so now, what I'm curious about are the in betweens, right? So you describe like this circumstance and this circumstance, and these are pivotal points for our, you know, enacting or or moving further in our process, right? But what happens in between? And I think that. Like, what is, what is the process between, like, I don't know what was the one pivotal thing right before that or the one pivotal thing. So what is the, because the, we always tend to think, I think, in our, in, the, in our society or in our culture about those, those, those times that have faces, right? What was happening in between that last time and this time that kind of like prepared you? Yep. Yeah. It's interesting, like the language you're using, because like literally remember you said for me, there are like these four, four phases. There's an awakening, there's a preparation. Then there's taking steps and then there's maintenance. I think that after the conversation with Marjorie, where I started waking up, after I went to soul work, where I started waking up, part of what I started getting hungry for was about like information and wanting to be in community with people who were already more conscious than myself. Right. And so, but I think for me, it was, it was like, I'm moving into like, what are the ways in which like I'm seeing, like understanding having a better grasp and understanding of what, what I'm in, of like what's influenced me to start to have, to develop what a really literal, literal literacy, right? And so I think that it's, it was for me a process of like starting to collect information and finding community. Who are the people who uh, I could relate to? Who are the people, who are my people in this conversation? Who then like, I could then be like, when things are coming up, they're the ones I'm calling to say, yo, this is happening. What do I do? Or how do I do? How do I do? So I think it's this pieces around like community building, um, like this piece of like finding my people, right? And and I think it's around like also like consuming information that is focused on evolving my consciousness. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. And so now I have another thought, right? And so this is a little bit different and in a different vein. But I'm thinking about because we've been talking about what it is to be black or a person of color, what it is to be minoritized within a setting. Right. But what if you're in a setting, if you're you're already black or a person of color and the and the it's predominantly people of color in that setting? Like what what might their process be like or what, you know, like there, of course, will be some overlap. But what, what do you think their experience might be like? I'm not sure I understand your question. Ask it again. Meaning this is deja vu. <laughs> uh, so th- what I should tell you what brought the question on. I remember when I was at, I was teaching at Medgar Evers College, 90 something, 98% black. And so, and even the, a lot of the students, even if they've had produ- like mostly white women teachers in their K through 12 education, they'd still been in predominantly black context and had also had black teachers where I, I growing up, I didn't have many black teachers. 
And so, you know, a lot of what I said, but I think this is also developmental. I think a lot of them who kind of like push back against what I was saying at the time would think of it different now, especially since they're out in the world and in contexts that are predominantly white, right? But how does this con- conversation relate to people who have been in predominantly black contexts? How are they? What's your sense of it? <laughs> that's, that's a real smart way to give it back to me. Well, when I, I was probably in my 30s before I worked in, I mean, I had, I mean, it's different when you adjunct because you're in and out. You don't really work in a context, but most of my work contexts before that were predominantly Black. And so when we think about power, I, I felt like in those contexts, it, it, so it wasn't necessarily about race, but it might, you have seen gender dynamics play out and different things like that. And, you know, I guess I'm asking because I'm, I'm wanting to be able to be inclusive of people with those experiences, too, for if they're like, well, how does this relate to me? Because I work in an all black context and I don't that has not been my experience. I guess my answer or my sense to that is really I, I guess I asked you a question I didn't really have an answer to. Right. But I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, that it, it is that we broaden our understanding to say that even if that is not your situation now because you're in a predominantly black or person of color context that still we live in a, a, a larger society where those dynamics play out and we still need to open our eyes to how it plays out by way of of more macro level stuff like our laws our policies and different things like that and how they do you know like silence us i mean i think i mean i agree with you i would say cuz i i don't believe white supremacy only stands its ground because of racism only I think white supremacy continues to stand its ground because of all the different systems of oppression that we have, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's homophobia, like ableism, classism, all of those things. So if you're, if part of what you're, if part of when, and, and the other thing too is like, because we are in a context of with predominantly black folk, doesn't necessarily mean that folks are not necessarily any less affected, right? By white supremacy ideology, right? So I, I would so so I think I think there's a piece around like just the I mean I think the the way you framed it seems like a a really nice way to, to think about it but I think this piece around like saying I'd be curious about for folks who are in that context who are listening to our podcast right what they came for what's their struggle about right because if in fact it was if it's all peachy then I don't know that you would look for a, a podcast that's about liberation am I making sense you are you are. Well, two things that I'm thinking. So the first thing that I'm thinking is that uh, building on what you were saying too, like we, we've so internalized oppression. Our media has, you know, has been indoctrinating us, you know, all those kinds of things that we still within these contexts, even if it is predominantly black, need to think about the way white supremacy plays out. So for example, competition, you know what I mean? I've, I've seen that even in a, in all black context that play out like, you feeling threatened by me because uh, you think that my reception, my positive reception means less of your reception. It means you got to fight white supremacy culture. Right. And so in, I think that part of that is really still thinking, thinking about the dynamics, right? So the players might look like you and they might be the same complexion as you, but the, the, the lateral aggression may still play out even if they are not present. So I think that that's an important part of the conversation. And that says that it's still very relevant for you to think about white supremacy culture and the ways the psych has been colonized. And then the the other part is, you know, I think that there's varied reasons why people might still tune in, right? Like the radical remembering, like, what is that? What is the ancestral work? What is, you know, all these kinds of things. But 
I'm glad I, that I asked because for a second I was like, mm, I'm gonna take back that question. <laughs> but but I think it 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 causes us to really I guess think through it and really speak in ways that is inclusive of of varied experiences. I appreciate. It. I mean, I think I was noticing. I was like, was my response defensive? Uh, like you know, because I was like, I was noticing. I was like, I think maybe my response felt like a little defensive. So I think that, that 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 we have a lot to think about, like, and so none of these conversations are complete. So even when I spoke about my liberation journey, when you spoke about your liberation journey, it cannot fully encapsulate all that is entailed, but we hope that it'll leave you. So Mark Nepo, who's one of my, he's a poet, philosopher, and I, I just love his words, right? Mark Nepo speaks about stories being medicine. And so in our medicine pouch, we have like our little stories that are little medicines that we kind of like sprinkle all around. So it is our hope that even in the the sprinkling of this medicine, of Buki's medicine, of my medicine, that there's something that you can hear and kind of latch onto and make meaning for your own journey. But we'll continue to keep having these conversations because the major part of liberation, as far as I'm concerned, is realizing, like Harriet Tubman said, I could have freed a thousand more if only they knew you know what I mean? If only they knew they were enslaved. And I think that there's so many ways that we don't realize that we've been colonized, that we've been enslaved. So the more we talk, the more stories that that you all hear, you know what I mean? The more you can can think about oh, like, oh, shit, I got some work to do. I need to think about that. I need to journal about that. You know what I mean? A thousand percent. And I think part of the piece that I felt like really feels important for me to be owning as like a co-host of this like podcast is that and I think this is a, and it's a lifelong process, right? Because I don't, I would not say that I feel like I am liberated all the time. I, I want that. And I, and in fact, the part that's beautiful is like, I feel like I have models now of people who I, I believe would probably show up liberated in all contexts and all moments. And that's amazing to be able to have that kind of model in my mind because it tells me that it exists. But I, I am not, I, I, it feels important for me to be um, humbling myself, to be transparent around, I'm still in, work, in, in journey, right? This is the piece where like when I'm hearing you and, and like I'll, I'll speak from a previous podcast, Cynthia, talking about ancestral practices, to be thinking about like, what are the ways in which I'm actively, right? Like, so there are pieces around like the ways in which I like engage power systems, but what are the ways that I'm actually like showing up? That, that, are, that claim, and I'm remembering as a Nigerian, Nigerian-born person, right? And like reclaiming my own like identity and practices as a, like a, a Yoruba person, right? So th- that's a whole new, new, that's a new space for me. So liberation is me actually like doing my work to start to like walk that talk, you know? So I, I, my point is just, I think this is like, an, it's like a, it's a lifelong, lifelong process. And I think there's always, it's always about this piece around like how we leveling up. Yeah. I love that. And, and it's it's important, too, because it's not as though something it's not as though we're just healing from something in the past. Right. So when I think of liberation in healing is necessary for it. Right. So it's not as though we're dealing with something in the past. There are constant. Um, do I want to say the word threat? There are constant opposing forces I'll use that that would try to that would attempt to suppress our liberation. And so it's an everyday kind of process. So I do think that we'll always be in journey. I'm not going to engage myself in fighting whiteness and white supremacy, meaning like that is not my main struggle. My main struggle is to be me and to be authentically me rooted in my own ethnic racial identity and background. Right. But at the same time, realizing that, that it, until the society changes, until we don't have systems of domination any longer, 
So it'll definitely be an ongoing process. So great conversation. Likewise, always. And we look forward to the next one. Here y'all. Thanks for listening. If you've loved what we had to say, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Dr. Narissa, and you can find me on IG at Dr. Narissa Williams. And I'm Dr. Buki. You can find me on IG at the official Dr. Buki. You can also stay abreast of our latest offerings at our website, radicalremembering.com.